Welcome to the Half Company Podcast, a podcast that bridges the gap between artists and their community. I'm grateful to share conversations with Half Company artists and residents, friends, and a little bit of my own thoughts on creating work and finding balance. I'd like to thank this episode's sponsors, Wax and Wayne Fiber and Pegacorn Press. Wax and Wayne Fiber is a queer and feminist-owned natural dye studio that creates products for the body and the home. They are also educators in the world of plant and insect dyes. Ashton and Claire were both Half Company residency alums, and you can listen to them on this podcast on episode 49. They have also created a beautiful hand-dyed pride flag, which you can purchase in the online shop. Visit the show notes at half-company.com slash podcast after to grab one for your own home. You can find Wax and Wayne Fiber online at waxandwayanefiber.com and on Instagram at waxandwayanefiber. They are incredible teachers, so follow along and they might be teaching in your area or you should invite them to. The episode is also sponsored by Pegacorn Press, which is a Brooklyn-based feminist, queer, total art freaker publishing adventure run solely by artist Caroline Paquita and the artist she collaborates with. Using Resograph stencil duplicators in her home, Paquita lovingly makes each publication by hand and has released over 30 titles in the past six years through Pegacorn Press. She's been making zines in the DIY spirit since 1996 and believes in printing and spreading a love-based, Gaia-worshipping, Gaylord agenda, queer history, and in general, art for all sort of womanals in the form of small-run artists, books, comics, zines, and printed ephemera. I was lucky to carry the Pegacorn Press annual calendar for many years at Have Company. You can purchase Bar Dykes, which is featured in this episode, as well as many other Pegacorn Press titles in the Caroline Paquita Etsy store. Use the coupon code HAVECOMPANY10 to get 10% off your purchase of $5 or more. In this final episode of the Have Company podcast, I interview artist and organizer Faith Levine, a human who paved a path that I have been walking for the past decade. It is with great enthusiasm that I share my conversation with her as the last episode of this podcast. Hello and welcome. It's me, Marley, and I'm sitting here with Faith Levine, and we're with our, what's it called? Bevy Corral. Bevy Corral, which is not going to translate if you don't know what we're talking about. We're staring at many beverages. We have two lemon spritzers, one iced coffee, a water bottle, a tea from the other day, that's it. Okay. So, Faith, you... There's so... I don't even know where to begin. I'm so excited. <laughs> but because we mentioned Bevy Corral, you... I mean, you've been a store owner. You've written books. You've made documentaries. You've got a blog. You're an incredible person. The blog is what makes it. <laughs> the blog. <laughs> the blog is really what ties it all together. It's the icing on the cake. What's your... um? When people ask you who you are and what you do... Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your one-liner? Well, if you were sitting next to me on an airplane and you asked me that question, which mm. seems to happen a lot in my life since I travel often, right. I would tell you that I work in the arts, which is my Whoa. very easy go-to umbrella answer, which usually people, unfortunately, or for better or worse, don't ask any more questions after that because maybe it's kind of intimidating, which is not yeah. my intention. Mostly. It sounds intimidating. I'm I like, just in the arts. I work in the arts. <laughs> um, but often I'm not trying to have casual conversations with people next to me on the airplane. Um, 
what did you ask me? What do I do? Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> who are you? Total um, blank. Yeah, um, who are you and what do you do? You know, <laughs> asking me that, right? I think it depends what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Who's asking me? Mm-hmm. Um, in general, my main objective is to promote creativity and the empowerment in which that can wield. <laughs> I just pulled that out of my ass. Um, but, good. uh, thanks. That's a good pull. <laughs> That's the caffeine talking. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in connecting people. I'm really excited about what people have the ability to make and create. And I'm really interested in the power that, um, art and making and how that operates in the world what that can do for people, both in a healing way and a political way, and for one owns personal healing. Um, I don't know if that's what I do, but that's what I'm mm-hmm. interested in. Mm-hmm. And so all the things that I do tend to fall under this large umbrella. Um, and for a long time, all those things felt very disjointed. And then, you know, you get older and you can take a step back. And then I can now look and see like, oh, all these things actually have mm-hmm. um, some themes that are in common and... Basically, I'm just, like, fascinated with humans and the fact that people make things. And I want people to appreciate those things. And I want to connect people who I know will appreciate things about each other. And I want people to see those Mm. things. So I'm also really invested in accessibility and people being able to access those things. Mm. I'm not coming out of academia. I'm not opposed to academia. But, I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, the language around academia can be really intimidating. And so um, I'm also interested in making sure that people aren't intimidated by when I say things like Mm. I work in the arts. (laughs) Um, right now I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm always kind of have some projects on the back burner, but I'm not really working on anything right now. Um, and so if you were to answer, ask me the question of what I do right now, I'd Mm -hmm. say I am aimlessly wandering, looking for my next home. Mm -hmm. That is my art project. Well, I love that you just framed your answer in what you're interested in. And I think that's, you know, I feel similarly just in that I'm always have these many different projects. And I feel like a lot of people I work with or I'm friends with have that same feeling where they're just like, well, I do so much. So I don't know how to answer that. And it's it's cool to sort of reframe it almost as like, what is your artist statement or interested in statement, regardless of what you're actually making. Yeah, I think I've learned to do that out of almost a defensiveness because I haven't ever had one specific medium that I've mastered. I'm like, yeah. And that's I have a lot of like maybe <clears throat> hang-ups about that, mm-hmm. you know. I mm-hmm. you know, I'm not I'm not particularly good at one thing, but I am very like good at lots of little things yeah. and all those little things have added up to be like a large amount of stuff that seemed to, seems to have benefited not only me but other people and resonated in a larger way mm-hmm. um, so I have learned to partially because of being forced to write about my work and talk about it to get funding and to make a living whatever that means that's right. interpreted in many ways right. um, to turn into like be able to talk about my art practice as being this like lifestyle choice that's terrible I don't actually know if I mean that it's okay (laughs) Uh I forgive you for saying lifestyle choice (laughs) my art practice is a brand (laughs) it's called faithlevine.com I'm gonna share with the listeners how I discovered you how you came how your being came into my life Um, 
I'm trying to remember the exact, I feel like it was like 2009, 2010, I found Handmaid Nation, the book, at my friend Brittany Drake's house, and it it kind of just changed my life. I was just like, oh my gosh, look at this book that, you know, documents all of these different artists, and it's, I think the subtitle is like, The Rise of Craft it's in America the, or something really incredible. It's like, it's Handmade Nation, the rise of DIY art, craft, and design. Oh my god, it like makes me, I just did like a little shiver excitement thing. But it came at a time in my life where I was living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I'm from, and I was running an all-ages music venue and, you know, collaging flyers for shows that I was putting on in this space. And it sort of just, um, I ended up reaching out, I think we emailed because I wanted to show the documentary at this, I put on this annual event called Sass Fest. It was this handmade, it was like a little fest. It was like people brought crafts, people brought, brought zines. And I literally like birthed that, which then turned into have company as a project, you know, not to put too much weight on you as a person, but it's kind of, it's always been this kind of funny thing. It was like, yeah, I basically read that book, saw that documentary and then like launched into this sort of human that I am today. So, thank you. Good job. Good work. Good job being interested in stuff. Um, But then it's so funny, the world of Instagram. I don't remember how, but we connected there somehow. And I remember all of a sudden being like, why does this person's name sound so familiar? And then I like saw the book on my bookshelf and was like, whoa, this is the same lady who made this documentary. Um, But I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about that part of a project and what it was like to like publish a book and make this movie that went with it and why you thought that was relevant or important work to do. Sure. That's a big question, but well, (laughs) well, Oh, the hats we wear. So handmade nation came out of basically The foundation for everything that I do is rooted in punk and DIY punk. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the suburbs of Seattle in the 90s. And Riot Girl and and punk were, um, you know, they were my gateway to where I am now. So fast forward to 10 years later (laughs) um, of, you know, being in my early mid-20s and I... Um, was making stuff by hand. I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is really random and a whole nother story. And it's actually not that random because I've lived there for a really long time. But um, let's see. So Handmade Nation basically came out of my admiration and respect and excitement for what I saw going on around me. So I've always documented things. I've always been um, someone who's taken a lot of photographs. Um... And I am, I can't say I'm not a filmmaker because I am, but I I don't have a background in in making films. Um, But what happened was, let's see, I'm really drying this out. I'm trying to, I haven't talked about it in a long time. I was making things. I was excited about craft. I was excited about women making things. Um, And um, I was a late bloomer to the internet. Mm. This was before Etsy. This was before PayPal. Um, oh, life before PayPal. Life, yeah, life before <laughs> PayPal, which was really complicated to sell your work as a maker online without an online, yeah. you know, shopping system. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, um, but I was doing, 
there's there's like kind of, there's all these little things that happen but one of the main things that happened was the first renegade craft fair happened in Chicago I had already had this little business that I had set up where I was selling stuff and making it I had a couple shops that I was selling to wholesale I was mm-hmm. kind of winging it and like going in through the back door figuring it out mm-hmm. And, um, I was a vendor at the first Renegade Craft Fair and I was in Chicago and it was like this super cute, kind of small event. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, people, this is like, people had like blankets on the grass selling their stuff. I mean, like Renegade now and what it was then is like very two different things. Mm -hmm. And it was, so that specific event going to Chicago, which is an hour away, hour and a half away from Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. selling my work, um, to the public, engaging with the public um, talking about why making things is important, why it was important to support independent makers and mm-hmm. artists. It was accessible. It was rooted in the same like DIY ethos that I had this background in. Mm-hmm. And also meeting a lot of the other makers and crafters who I had started to meet on these like, you know, old um, online forums before sure. like there was all these, you know, social media networks. <clears throat> So I got to meet a lot of these people who I'd like been slowly meeting online. <clears throat> and um that event changed my trajectory and I went back to Milwaukee and I was like I want to have an event in the city where I live where mm. people can sell things and engage with the public and generate the sense of community. And so I'm really interested in creating programming and filling in gaps where that mm-hmm. programming doesn't exist, which is why I've always ended up living in mid-sized cities. So, out of that, I started this event called Art versus Craft in Milwaukee, which ran for ten years. And um, I, for there's a time where I was participating in all sorts of craft fairs around the country as a vendor, and then also coordinating Art versus Craft and running a gallery. And I became very, very, very immersed in this community of like powerful, badass makers that were mostly women, and. I was really deep in it and felt mm-hmm. really passionate about it. This was at the same time when craft and handmade and DIY started to be like a marketing term. Right. But it was right on the cusp of that. So mm-hmm. there was these like HD, HGTV shows that were happening. Um, or like, there, you know, people were starting to talk about mm-hmm. craft more and mm-hmm. like people, DIY. And mm-hmm. it was all, it was really focused on like the cuteness factor, Mm -hmm. which I'm not knocking at all. I made these, like, kind of brutally embarrassing, like, plush owls at the time. And, like, you know, I was there. I was in it. But to me, there was more important elements of the community, which was, like, deep-rooted, like, bonds between, like, people making things, women making things, the political drive behind it, the process, the, the reasons behind the actual making. So out of that... I felt very invested in documenting what was happening because I saw this tipping point and I wanted to make sure that there was something that captured the energy of what was going on before it shifted because, you know, I, I was old enough to have already have seen mm. shifts in the Northwest. I've already had seen like certain like um, communities co-opted in certain ways and I, I recognized the importance of that. Initially, I thought of it as a photo documentary project where I would mm-hmm. interview people and make a zine because that was what was accessible to me, and I'd always made zines. Right. Um, <clears throat> oh my God, what a long answer! Yeah, so, it's good. I'm it's so good. Sorry, it's, I'm no, like, it's great. Good thing you got me a coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I uh, I realized that it was actually more than that, and I approached my best friend. <clears throat> who was living in Milwaukee, um, Mika O'Herlihy, who is an experimental filmmaker who had also done some documentary work, and who is also a single mother, and I said, 
hey, Mika, do you want to travel around the country with me? Um, <laughs> and I don't have any money, but I'll pay for your travel. Mm-hmm. And shoot all of these events and people. And basically, you know, my doing programming, having a gallery, doing all these things is basically just an excuse to, like, email people and be like, oh, my God, you're amazing, and, like, fan out really hard, but mm-hmm. have, like, a reason to access them. Yeah, that was, like, running my artist yeah. residency. I was like, oh, yeah, let me provide a space for you. Just kidding. I want you to be my friend and yeah. live in my store. <laughs> How you live here now. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, Handmade Nation was, was birthed out of my admiration, respect, and excitement for a community and wanting to capture the, like, the, like, spirit and essence of that community. Um, the film, to me, is, like, unwatchable. I think it's a really important, like, it's, I'm really glad it exists. I, people yeah. still watch it. People tell me they watch it in school sometimes, and I'm yeah. like, oh my god, please don't talk to me about it. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that it's there. I'm glad I made it. Yeah. Visually, it's really painful for me. Yeah. And the book was a companion piece to that. Yeah. So the book is based off of the information we gathered during that project. Um, you know, if I was to make that film now, which isn't even really relevant, my aesthetics would be different. The people would be different. It would sure. be a more diverse project sure. in various ways. But, um... That is the answer to that question. Thank you. That was a very beautiful answer. Well, and I think, I mean, I just relate so deeply on, you know, having my own life birthed out of punk and zines and mid-sized city life. Like, Mm -hmm. that is exactly where I came up, like, in Grand Rapids, like going to the spaces that were available to me as a teenager there, you know, becoming sober in my early 20s, having a sober punk space to go to, Mm -hmm. that sometimes I, because I think my work in years also, like, ends up going out of that realm and into the other realm, Mm -hmm. sometimes I can get sort of like, no, 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 it's not, like you said, it's like, it's not about the cute thing, though, it's Mm -hmm. about the other aspects of it. it was interesting to hear you talk about. Yeah, I mean, I found myself, and I didn't really, I, you actually asked about publishing the book, which I just want to mention. Mm-hmm. So the film was independently, I just like went for it and did right. a really irresponsible thing, which <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't do, but I just like had this credit card that I had gotten at one point that had this like insane limit because yeah. I lied about my income when uh-huh. I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and I financed the film on my credit card, and the book was a result of, I had done a really good job. I mean, we'll just say branding the project during the process and people were following it and I was offered a number of book deals and that was, you know, the book I actually, um, I call my expensive business card, both of my books, Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't have, I don't make a lot of money off of the books, but they're, I'm glad they exist. They validate the project. They reach a different audience. Um, but that was, yeah. So, um, but you know, I found myself doing like speaking engagements in places where, I don't even think it's not like I had any business being there, but I didn't have a history in craft or fine craft. And all of a sudden I was plopped down in this world because I became this go-to person, the spokesperson for like DIY craft or indie craft or whatever. And I really got pigeonholed for a while and Mm. still am in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind that my, I'm still very, I, I, my investment is in makers and what people do, but, um, I really had to, um, learn how to hold, my own space in rooms full of academics and people who had a lot of feelings about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But what I learned out of that, and I feel like this is important to share is Mm -hmm. if you are speaking about something that is your own personal experience, Mm -hmm. not based in academia or like the history of something, Mm -hmm. and you're just speaking truly about your own personal experience Mm -hmm. and the things in your life, Mm -hmm. people actually can't argue with that experience. Right. So, (laughs) 
if you're standing in a room full of 200, you know, curators mm-hmm. talking about craft who yeah. have, and, like, people have opinions about that, they can have all the opinions, but they actually can't argue with the reality of what is going on and your experience within that. And that was really empowering for me to realize at a certain point where I'm like, okay, I just have to, like, be really honest with my experience and, like, speak from my personal experience instead of trying to, like, place this within a larger timeline. Mm -hmm. That can Mm -hmm. be someone else's job. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do all the things. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just totally fast forward cool thank you for going backwards with me i just (laughs) i understand that that's like a very separate project for you now but it just felt so relevant because it was like it's cool i mean that's why we're here it's why we're here yeah um but the other reason i feel like why we're here is that i kind of was reconnected and reintroduced to your work via our mutual friend caroline who has pegacorn press and many listeners probably own a calendar that she's been making for years now and that i've carried in the half company online shop and in the in the physical store all the like little punk diners and places in grand rapids have them hanging on the wall it's always my like favorite little thing but um tell us a little bit about the project that you worked on together and it makes me excited and i'm excited to hear you yeah so my most recent project which my output these days of what i do is much less in the grand scheme of things which i am still coming to terms with and feel good about but I my ability to do a bajillion projects at once is um I think that anyways my pace of working is different but my most recent thing that I did um I had moved out to rural middle Tennessee a couple years ago and um to live in rural queer community Mm um and part of that experience was meeting my friend Meryl, Meryl Mushroom. And Meryl is in her 70s. She's this old um, butch lesbian. And Meryl has become, you know, one of my very good friends at this point. And um, Meryl and I were having coffee one day and we were discussing uh, my friend Macon Reed's project um, that she's doing, that she was doing called Eulogy for the Dyke Bar, which is about the disappearance of um, lesbian spaces um, in general around the country and Meryl was talking about how she so Meryl's a writer amongst many things mm-hmm. and Meryl was talking about this play that she had written um, this one act play and she'd written it in the early 80s and it was called uh, Bar Dykes and it was a period piece about dyke bar culture in the 50s and I was like Man. whoa yeah and so, <laughs> so I was like you know Meryl came out when she was in high school in mm-hmm. the 50s and Damn. I mean her story she's like the most badass lady yeah. ever um she had a head shop I'm mean, like right, let me just gush about Meryl yeah first. please so Meryl um was okay so Meryl grew up in Florida uh. and then moved to New York in a roundabout way and had a head shop in the Lower East Side in the, like early 60s and then her and her husband who's also gay um they um got married so they could ha- adopt um, children and raise children, but they were part oh, of the Back wow. to the Land movement and moved out to this area in rural middle Tennessee as a part of that movement. So Meryl's been out in this area for 35-plus um, years. Anyways, Meryl's amazing. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked Meryl, I was like, hey, Meryl, you know, I feel like a lot of your writing has an audience that you don't even know about or that doesn't know about you. And I was like, would you be interested in um, allowing me to republish or publish? It had never been published. Sure. <clears throat> uh, Bardykes, um, with an interview with you to give people 
context of who you are. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and it's a piece of like queer history that should be in circulation. And also, in my mind, I was hoping that there would be some, you know, then performances of the play that would come out of that as well. Mm-hmm. And Meryl's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. I trust you. She loves me. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so the next step was... Um, I was like, I, you know, I could put together a zine or whatever, but also Caroline, who is a friend of mine from the punk scene who I've known for 20 years, has this, you know, incredible small press. And also Caroline knows Meryl um, oh, wow. from the neighborhood. It, and the neighborhood is the area in Tennessee, which is not really a neighborhood. We call it the neighborhood. It's, it's out. It's just referred to as the neighborhood. But so Caroline has met Meryl before. Meryl's a huge fan of Caroline's work. Mm. And so it seemed like, so with everything that I do, I really try and bring as many people in as possible in the mm-hmm. least chaotic way to like, it's just, that's how you, that's community. Like yeah. we do these things that build upon each other's work and it just makes it better instead of doing it all with a one track mind. So I asked Caroline if she would be down to publish um, one of Meryl's plays and she was like instantly hyped about it. And, um, so I did this very long rambling interviews, maybe uh-huh. <laughs> similar to the, the trajectory of what this is happening with Meryl, um, where I sat with her for like three hours and we tell this is not going to be three hours where we talked about, you know, her life and I wanted to get everything recorded. So it was just in, so I had it anyways, right. since I had her sitting down right. and we talked about Bardike's and her history and um, a very very edited version of that interview is now um, accompanies the um, the play and Caroline did this beautiful job designing um, the zine and it's in its second edition and um, it's I'm, I'm really proud of it I feel really good about that coming out of my time living in that rural location and I'm uh, yeah and that's a weird way that's the that's the end of that sentence <laughs> did has anyone performed it so at that we had a release party cool. it was really cute so the release of the of of bardike's um was at the new york art book fair cool. um last year and caroline was like well you should have a release party in Tennessee at the same time as we have it in New York and yeah. I was like yeah duh like right. New York City Dowelltown Tennessee right. Right. perfect <laughs> so we had a little party at Merrill's house in the neighborhood oh, and so um everyone came to celebrate Merrill and um out of that there was like an impromptu reading of the play that's Whoa. this was like an informal reading but it was right. amazing like people from the neighborhood like acting it out it was super cute <laughs> Meryl was like really stoked yeah um there has been two performances of the play in the past like I think one okay. in the 80s and one in the 90s one of the flyers um I found um this guy uh this old gay um man named Robert Patrick who's a playwright and also has a little um Playhouse? Is that what you call it? A little theater? I think so. I think Playhouse. It sounds a little naughty or something. Well, especially um, in the context of everything, but I think you call it Playhouse. Robert, um, I contacted Robert, who's an old friend of Merrill's from the 60s, um, who's in LA now, and he actually, in his archives, had the flyer for the the play. So that's in the zine as well. I tried to get as much, there wasn't that much um, ephemera about it, but so... um, there is a company in New York who contacted Meryl since the play um, has been 
republished that asked her about doing um doing the play and I don't know otherwise I mean I think that you know Meryl's excited to have it out in the world and if people are interested in contacting her about doing that, her address, and I think her phone number. That was, like, she doesn't do email, so, like, I think it might, yeah, so you can, like, call her. I mean, we talk on the phone, like, yeah. often. It's yeah. real cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, I think, like, it will happen, and I, it may be in a more form. I, mean, I think it's happening, but I don't know cool. details about that. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> so, coming up, you have a residency at Haystack. Haystack Mountain School of Crafts nice. in Maine. Yeah. And yeah, it's I love um sort of, you know, residencies as this non-academia space to sort of continue research and working on projects and I know that's been an important part of your practice both to document residencies mm-hmm. and attend them. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to work on. The arts. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't actually. I'll be know. working in the arts. I'll be working in the arts. Um, I. You don't know. I don't. Well, I kind of know. I you know residencies are helpful for me because they're designated chunks of time. I work best with deadlines, so when I have open-ended projects, it's difficult for me to like follow. I mean, there's always I'm good with the follow-through eventually, but I work best with hard deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. In the process of working on a book with a small press here in the Bay um, of my photographs, which is really exciting because no Mm -hmm. one has actually ever approached me. I did a small zine with Hamburger Eyes once, and that's just like a black and white um, Mm -hmm. zine um, of some photos from a trip to Thailand. But no one's actually ever approached me about putting out a book of my photographs and photography I mean, I'm like a super casual photographer, and sure. at this point, everything I shoot on my iPhone, it's like, I'm not, we're not talking mm-hmm. fine photography here, but, you know, I have a good eye, and I photograph everything, and I travel a lot, so um, someone approached me, uh, this woman, Megan Miro, who lives here, approached me, we met at a residency last year at Black Mountain, <clears throat> and um, she was like, you know, I feel like it would be really cool to put out a, a book of your photos, and I was like, thank you. Oh, goddess. Like, finally. Like, yes, I want to do that. And then this year had a lot of unexpected bumps and turns. And so, and she was real like, you know, just whenever you want to get me some stuff. And I was like, okay, well, so I I don't want to spend my entire residency on my computer, but I am going to designate a couple hours a day. This is my idea. We'll see if this happens. To go, I've been traveling with my hard drive and everything thinking I was going to do it on this trip, but, um, haven't plugged that in yet. So, um, you know, I'm, like, fairly organized. Like, there's folders of years of photographs, but mm-hmm. there's literally... And I don't know how I'm going to... I'm going to just go through and start calling things without thinking too much about it and start trimming it down and trimming it down. But mm-hmm. I don't think there'll even be necessarily <clears throat> any theme aside from my cool. aesthetic eye. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, just she's yeah. just really giving me the freedom to do whatever I want. And she's like, if you want to do two volumes, we can do that. And I was like, careful. Yeah. <laughs> There's thousands and thousands and thousands yeah. of photographs. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm going to hopefully be working on. And then I really feel like, <clears throat> you know, I'm not, my own art practice is also like involves a lot of you know it's interesting that you said doing collage work on flyers Mm -hmm. like I you know my handwriting is really specific and I've done a lot of design work for people Mm -hmm. 
for freelance jobs and I'm not I, collage is actually my other like root of mm-hmm. um, a passionate root of mine mm-hmm. and so I want to spend some time um, um, in my mind I'm thinking I'm going to bring like five big sheets of nice paper and I just yeah. kind of want to like shake out some like cutting I mean the, like I really like even just spending the time cutting out tiny things it's yeah. really methodical to me Yeah. Um, and then also working with like uh watercolors and I just need to like shake some color out of my system I think so that's the balance of what I'm hoping to do there part of that residency is also spending an hour a day with the students who are there um leading some discussions and I'm oh cool really interested in conversations right now surrounding um what it means to be a permission giver (gasps) oh Is that a thing you like? Yes, that's a thing I'm like deep in right oh, now. That's my thing. I was ju- I was just interviewed on on a podcast and said like that exact same sentence. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you about this later. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. So I ta- I did a lecture on it last year when I was there. Oh my god, I'm getting a little tears. And so within <laughs> what crazy. it means for my personal experience to be a permission giver, mm-hmm. I think that there's a really interesting conversation about power mm. and what it means to be in positions of power, which can mean, like, the most varied degrees of, like, things. So, I'm, and what, and then also within that, speaking to what it means to be your most authentic self, and with, especially in relation to being a maker of objects, because we're so overrun with imagery, which I love, because Mm, I love mm -hmm. excessiveness, and I love looking at images, but it's like, wait, am I just you know when you get in that like tunnel of like am I just regurgitating all the same things that everyone does what's the point and then it's like really easy to hit this dead end right so those are the things I'm excited to talk to talk about in general but especially with the students there I have no idea how I have no plan on how that's going to happen I'm pretty good with just rambling as you can tell Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) I'm going to pound iced coffee before my talks with my students every day you're good with that yeah that's good that's why yeah Yeah, I was on a um the this collective in LA called the Urbanite House Collective interviewed me they have this new podcast called The Awakening Mm. and I'd kind of already been thinking about permission giver as a word Mm. or I hadn't named it that yet but I was like what kind of back to like what do you do or like what are you interested in and they asked me one of their opening questions was do you it was most the interview was a little bit more about personal practice as a project Mm. But they asked if I identify as a healer. And I was like, no. And then I was like, I think I identify more as a permission giver. Shit, that's and so cool. I know. I just like kind of channeled out of my mouth. And ever since I said that, I've been, because I've been doing these one-on-one consulting sessions and like, mm-hmm. and kind of wondering like, as I reframe what is Have Company, what is my work? I'm like, I think I just keep giving people permission that they have in them. And I'm just like yo, you got this. And they're like, oh, okay, thanks. And I'm like, bye. And they like go and do their stuff. And I'm like, yes. It's really powerful. Yeah. Because I recognized in my own life that like making zines. So zines Mm -hmm. for me, like Mm -hmm. punk is at the root of everything, but zines is a creative outlet for me was like, oh, there's no rules. Exactly. That was this thing where it's like, there, it was a permission giver. And so I really looked at like, what does that mean? It just took one little thing and my entire life trajectory just shifted into this whole other channel. And so 
the the thing that I hear from people the most in all these different worlds that I walk in is like, oh, I was inspired, you know, the thing that you did inspired me or this made me feel yeah. empowered. And so what that what I can boil that down to is this act of being a permission giver. Because we get so locked into, like, the ways that we're socialized, whether it's within, like, you know, your um, professional life, whether it has to do with gender, whether it has to do with Mm -hmm. um, general mental health. And it's like, you know what? It's okay to, like, not get out of bed today. You know, tomorrow try and put on your pants. Right. Like, let me give you permission to do that. I mean, like, there's so many ways to talk about it. And I think it's... um, it's really powerful. Yeah. And I love that you are like on I the know. same page. With well, I back. think that's exactly <laughs> what I said about your book. Like mm-hmm. being a person yeah. who I literally read your book and it was like, it, and that's why I feel like it, it's easy to talk to you as a peer. Mm-hmm. I'm not like you changed my life as much as like factually, like you made a book that made me be like, Oh shit, I can do that easy like I can I can collage a flyer and organize a craft fair and then change the landscape of the city I live in Mm -hmm. I mean that's the other part of it that's like it's radical yeah it's a radical action to give permission and it's really empowering to empower people like that makes me feel like a better person if I can make you feel more confident in what you already have within you yeah um and that for me transcends from into again like the way we feed ourselves, the way mm. we like express our sexuality and our gender, mm-hmm. the way that we um, engage on like tiny little actions throughout the day. And so it is about a lifestyle for me because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not just about like my professional life is it doesn't there's no separation between like how I live my life and what I'm doing in right. the bigger world. Right. And I don't want there to be. Right. It's that authenticity that I hope that I that I'm like striving to like stay connected to. Also, like I want to have full disclosure that I'm at this like point in my life where my I feel like I have no direction, and so like I am coming across. I feel like I'm saying these really like strong important things, but like yeah. shit falls apart, and that's real. And I feel like it's really important to say that. I'm just gonna interject that because yeah, like, I I can be really articulate and grounded mm-hmm. in my words, and mm-hmm. I mean everything I'm saying, and I mm-hmm. hear myself saying it, but like. It's also life, and things are messy and sloppy, mm-hmm. and, like, you just have to take shit mm-hmm. day by day, and it's hard. Well, that's a good sort of transition into what I like to ask people just about what what are either, like, rituals or tasks, because, again, like, I know you went through, like, a big <clears throat> partnership separation this year and, like, uprooted your home, and you technically don't have a home right now, but it's sort of, like... I've definitely watched you navigate like home as everywhere, Mm -hmm. home as wherever you are. So what are ways, especially, and I love that you talked about your pace changing in terms of Mm -hmm. your output and as an artist. So this is a little bit of a broad segue, but Mm -hmm. in terms of that, like, okay, everything fell apart. Here I am now kind of just traveling and spitballing. What are ways that you stay on your own personal course or continue kind of in that permission granting way of like, how do you keep giving yourself permission? How do you stay, you know, in it, Mm -hmm. in your body, in your practice, especially when everything is totally uprooted? So this manifests in different degrees of success. (laughs) So I just don't also want to give the impression that I'm like on some regimented like self-care tract every day. But, um, so for the last six months I've been in pretty fluid motion traveling and, you know, visiting people and trying to reconnect with, not even trying to reconnect, but just, I have this sort of 
time that I don't know what I'm doing and I realize like what it boils actually let's do this what it mm-hmm. boils down to for me is um maintaining and nurturing my friendships and relationships and making sure that I feed those relationships so when the time comes and I need to be held that there's space for that so what has happened for me in the last six months is in this time of transition that was unexpected for me in some ways Mm -hmm. I've been able to lean harder than I necessarily would want to Mm -hmm. on I feel very held by my community and my close friends right now Mm -hmm. and that's hard for me I'm not it's really difficult Mm -hmm. to ask for help Mm -hmm. I think that a lot might probably resonates with a lot of people Mm -hmm. um but also so my self-care practice is something I've learned and like continue to learn mm-hmm. is reminding myself to be gentle with myself, mm-hmm. myself, myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> gentleness with myself, uh-huh. um, which, you know, means a, a lot of different things, but being gentle with myself, um, I, what are the things that I do? I, I'm like, wow, this is like, it's, <clears throat> let's see, um, making sure that I'm feeding myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a, I'm an advocate for eating, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and eating, you know, well, but also that can, you know, I binge every once in a while and mm-hmm. all the gross shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, being in water feels good for me mm-hmm. and I've, that's like something that's kind of... <laughs> sounds sort of out there but has come up in the last like couple I mean I've been on, I've been in California for six weeks and I've had the mm-hmm. opportunity to be in all sorts of different water mm-hmm. but just like being by water you know honestly I when I moved to Tennessee I had never lived in the country um and I was like out there out there mm-hmm. and that sort of like reset my brain and I am I am now in I am one of those people where I'm like oh I actually need to be in nature I like I, I don't yeah. need it all the time. Yeah. I like thrive off the city. I love a fast pace. Like right. I it works for me. I'm like that comes back easy for me, but I have now at this point in my life it's I like to go check out and like take a walk. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of walks. Yeah. That's actually a self-care thing yep. for me. Even if it's just like you know, a 20 minute walk. That movement, I'm not um I am not a person who sits and meditates and I am I'm, I'm of the ilk of a person that does what I would kind of refer to and this is like a thing I think but like a walking meditation Mm -hmm. where that movement helps me sort of refocus I actually don't listen to music when I walk I like to be Mm -hmm. aware of my surroundings Mm -hmm. in the city or in nature or whatever Mm -hmm. um and again going back to that staying connected with people I send people postcards I maintain Mm -hmm. I'm a really I maintain my relationships and my friendships Mm -hmm. pretty devoutly Mm -hmm. um and sometimes I have to watch myself with that um, because mm-hmm. I realize I'm not taking care of myself and I'm maintaining right. and uh, and using maintaining relationships as a, mm-hmm. a way to not take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that was super clear, but you know, there's like processes of felt very clear. Does it? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. I love it when that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and also um, I haven't been writing at all, and it's kind of a bummer, but. You know, I take a lot of pictures as placeholders because I'm in movement a lot. It's hard mm-hmm. for me to remember all the things that I've done. And um, 
I, I take snapshots as, as placeholders so I can go back and those are triggers for me as like, oh yeah, I was at this place at this day. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but really, ideally, I would be writing stuff down more. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as just as a, not even like, you know, dear diary prolific mm-hmm. things, but um, uh, just kind of notes of what happened during the day. Mm-hmm. Also, like... I always have been and will continue to be, I think. I'm really interested in, in pushing myself out of my comfort zone in the sense where I have this, like, widespread community that I've developed mm-hmm. over the last 25 years mm-hmm. that I'm really thankful for. Mm-hmm. But um, I, 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 in the last six months, have been really trying to hang out with people who I don't know and pushing mm-hmm. myself to have conversations with people... Um, that I don't know yet. So mm-hmm. like even with you, I mean we knew each other on the internet, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. making time for new friendships, mm-hmm. seeing what directions those will mm-hmm. take. I was just going to make a joke about online dating, which is not a successful self-care thing for me, but that's, that's cool. <laughs> I've dated a few people that just sent me Instagram <coughs> DMs. Hmm. That's the new Tinder. Right. Instagram DMs. I think I'm way more down with that than Tinder. I mean, Tinder, I can't. I It doesn't no. work for me. No. You like how I just jumped from self-care to Tinder? I don't know how I I don't that. know how we... Real talk. It was fast. It was a quick jump. <laughs> I was like, I'm done talking about self <laughs> You're like, you're like, <laughs> online dating. Well, I was like, what? Well, Wait, my brain... So the way my brain... Did you just come up with a new topic to talk about? No, I don't want to talk about online dating because it actually is not a, th- it's not a successful thing for me. But, no, it's not. Um, no, but I was thinking about self-care and I was thinking about relationships and like, um, and just... and dating but also like the way that we connect with people and you know I'm going to be 40 Mm -hmm. in a few months and like it's just really interesting like not even talking about dating but just like being a cis woman and like navigating like new it's hard to make friends as you get older and I'm like I'm like really lucky I have a lot I like I can confidently say I have a lot of really good friends yeah and I have a lot of like peripheral good friends and like I I have done a really successful job of like like creating that for myself yeah um but uh it's wild to get older if you know I feel like people make friends at their jobs and people make friends the different ways that relationships are developed are really interesting to Mm me and Mm -hmm. um living in rural middle Tennessee I had like some challenges with like developing friendships Mm -hmm. and it was so I've been thinking about that a lot yeah has nothing to do with online dating actually (laughs) I'm embarrassed that I said that take back take backs (laughs) non-edited podcast take backs no take backs here no take backs um what's here's a opportunity to brag about whoever you want to brag about and tell us a little bit about who (coughs) um who or what is inspiring Mm. Faith Levine as an artist and human person. Oh, shit. <laughs> or sometimes I phrase this question, what are you excited about? And it can be like, it can also be a non-person. It can be like a book, a movie, an album, a plant. What's like bring you the deep inspiration? Deep inspiration. I am excited about queerness. Mm. I'm inspired by listening to the people I have access to talk about the ways that they perform their lives and how that 
manifests in individual people's like ways like the ways mm-hmm. that people I'm I'm mo- I'm inspired I'm like deeply inspired by the people that I have around me mm-hmm. which feels like a positive thing like oh I'm in a, I'm in I'm lucky I'm in this really good place um I am inspired by um the people in my life who are focused enough to be in one place (laughs) and I I I like I aspire to get to that place sooner Mm -hmm. than later so I think I'm looking at the people around me who and I mean and being in one place maybe can also not be connected to like being rooted in a physical space but also being in one place like focused on something specific like that's um this is all kind of like out there but Mm -hmm. there's the amount of artists that inspire me um I think instead of listing off a list of names like I I feel like also I always draw an instant blank of yeah of when that happens but i I think I'm just inspired by um my my greater community Mm -hmm. and like the critical thinking that happens within that and like the fact that there's always room for like growth and like compassion um and I'm excited to like so like my favorite part about getting older is to see how my world keeps getting smaller but then I continue to still meet meet new people but they're like still like laced into this like larger web right and um and that's inspiring to me right now Mm -hmm. I'm not like super obsessed with the fact that I'm turning 40 but somehow Mm -hmm. it just seems like you know it's a like inevitable mile marker sure and um it sounds cool yeah it definitely sounds cool (laughs) I'm gonna be 40 (laughs) yeah um yeah I'm inspired. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm like, oh, there's like no, it's like, I'm not, there's, I'll never be bored and there'll never be lack of inspiration in my life. So like, mm-hmm. you know, at any point that list can like go in like all these varied directions. But I love that like my general community and like my wider community is so focused on like, what feels like a really productive self-awareness like play, uh, in general like I don't know mm-hmm. that and like in <clears throat> a mindful way of like a lot of things mm-hmm. you know I grew up in a really new agey household I lucked out on the parent roulette my mm-hmm. parents are both really incredible people and super supportive in the ways that they know how to be and um it's interesting to like see the things that, like, I was super embarrassed of as a kid, like, now, so, like, <laughs> like, such a part of, like, my mm-hmm. day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also kind of, like, funny to me, but, like, right. um, <laughs> so that's sort of comforting for me. I'm like, oh, this feels comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But not too comfortable. I don't ever want to be too comfortable. That's where I feel like, yeah. um, when you get too comfortable, I feel like that's when it's easy to start getting lazy. I had this thing happen, I want to mention, that where it's mm-hmm. like, I did all this work, 
all types of work, like for my health and my mm-hmm. mental health and like mm-hmm. slowing down and trying to literally rewire my brain mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. like muscle memory stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was really hard and painful. And then I think I got too comfortable. And then I think I did, I like for some reason thought that like you do the, you do the work and then it's fixed. And then I was like, oh yeah, like there's no end. It's exhausting. Like there's no end yeah. <clears throat> to the work that we do as people as humans and just like this constant reminder and I'm sure like my like 50 year old self and my 60 year old self will be like yeah duh dude mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. <laughs> do you like that west coast that just came out wow I um, like this um uh Dory Midnight who's the intuitive counselor I seek counsel from <laughs> she like a sort of tool she offered me recently was to check in with elder Marley so I was like mm-hmm. thinking about making a few decisions and it was one of the most incredible, like, visualizations I've ever done. I, like, saw me, like, living in my, like, cabin by the ocean. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, 60. I'm, like, eating granola. I have this incredible <laughs> library, like, with all my books. My hair is, like, long in this long gray braid. And Elder Marley was just so chill. And she just, her advice was so great. And I was like, oh, I can tap into, like, this version of myself even though I feel like I'm just like a spastic 20 something right now Mm -hmm. because I technically am and then how can I tap into like Mm -hmm. yeah what does the other what does the older version of myself think that's a little off topic why did I think about that I don't know online dating (laughs) (laughs) sorry you just keep it light. The cackle. Let's keep it light. That's what my mom my mom laughs like that just like (laughs) deep cackle um Anything else? Oh, I don't know. Any last topics? Uh, Anything, any other words of wisdom you want to tell the people? Uh, also, if it makes you feel better, the last time I was on a podcast and someone was like, what are you, like, who are you inspired by? All I could say was Solange, <laughs> which is not a bad person to be inspired, but I had no, I also drew a blank and just, that was all I could think of. And then later I was thinking about all these other people. And things, it's just endless. The ins- it's endless. That inspiration is endless. You know what's been awesome, and we can end after this because I'll just keep talking because I'm so caffeinated, <laughs> Yeah, is being in California with all the flowers blooming. Not super yes. bloom. I'm not, like, going right. back to super right. bloom zone. I miss right. that. But, right. like, I have just, like, spent mm. the last six weeks really in the city mostly. I mean, I've done a little trips here and there, but, like, just really appreciating all the flowers and colors around me. And what kind of hippie am I right now? Yeah, you're a true. Whoa. You're like, I just love flowers. I love California. No, but it's, like, been why I don't real. know if it's, like, I haven't spent that much time on the West Coast in a few years, and I, um, I just feel really appreciative of all the flowers in California. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's how we're ending this. That's, how embarrassing. We just... Cool. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> This is where I interview you, right? Yeah, this is where we switch. And I'm going to start with, like, I love the flower. I definitely have also become, like, because the smells here, too, Mm -hmm. like, when the jasmine Mm -hmm. came out, I literally just would walk down the street and my face, I would just plant into, like, a fence just to smell Mm -hmm. and just be like, whoa, that just, like, totally overtook me in ways that I've never felt about plants before. Okay, wait, two things. Yes. I'm going to make it quick, and then you should cut me off. So, have you ever been to the, um, the, um, what's it called? Not the bonsai garden, but the, Mm -hmm. in Berkeley, Mm -hmm. or not in Berkeley, oh my god, the... It's a botanical botanical garden. garden. I haven't been there. Okay. Well, they have a sensory garden part of it. That's really awesome. So that made me think of that. Great. Um, 
And then the other thing I wanted to say, you had, like, you said this thing about last minute thoughts. And I guess I just, mm. this is like kind of opening up a door and I'm not going to try and go there. But I just want to say this thing yes. that it, and I said I'm inspired by like queerness mm-hmm. and, um, and talking about gender. And mm-hmm. there, there's all these, this is such a large conversation topic. But something sure. I want to just say out loud is really taking the time um, for oneself to, not make assumptions about people Mm. and when when we're operating in the world and this can translate not just about queerness or gender but like Mm. this whole idea of like I don't when I clock someone on the street or when I like meet someone I'm just really working for myself but it's something I like to talk to about other people about how you know we are so socialized in so many ways and um, for me the easiest way to start talking about gender and the way that people identify and conversations about queerness and pronouns Mm -hmm. is where if we all just start to really check our assumptions we're making when we meet people Mm -hmm. um it's a really easy way to take the first steps in being more not even compassionate but just like Mm -hmm. educating ourselves about Mm -hmm. like we don't know what other people's experiences Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. that was really out of left field but it's something i've been thinking about yeah i'm just gonna no that's great like put that out there I love that and I feel like it's something as a teacher and facilitator (laughs) I've been thinking about a lot lately I just taught a dance class and it's and you know when we introduce ourselves we go around we say our names and we say our pronouns Mm -hmm. and there was someone in the group who has taken other of my classes and they introduce themselves with a different name and a different pronoun (laughs) and they're at the beginning of transitioning and they were like really open with that with the group and it was just a good reminder to me of like, oh, I'm glad that I, I have that tool of asking for those things because mm-hmm. even in queer community, I feel like we forget that I still find myself, I still find myself making assumptions even as a cis queer woman who dates a cis straight man, mm-hmm. like that how heteronormative I feel mm-hmm. a lot of the time mm-hmm. and that yet I still project, you know, and I'm, I assume that many people, if they saw me on the street, would just be like, oh, a straight person. And then I have to unpack where I project the same thing onto others. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's not totally out of left field and I think is definitely a... And especially when my relationships have been, you know, I was married to a cis straight man and was polyamorous and dating, like, mm-hmm. you know, having, like, a lot of different layers to my life. And that, but on the outside, I looked... Of very different than what I maybe right. am. And that was a much more articulate way of saying what I was trying to get to. And <clears throat> as a cis white femme, mm-hmm. I will. I have had the experience, <clears throat> and I just want to share this. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you should read more about gender identity and mm-hmm. educate yourselves because it's your job to do yeah. that. Yeah. But um, I have been in groups of people where... Um, people will check in with people around me about their pronouns who may present differently, but because I present as mm. a, as a pretty normie looking femme mm-hmm. that no one, it was it seriously yesterday I was with someone and it was one of maybe on, like I can count on one hand the times that people have ever asked me my preferred pronoun. Yeah. And you know, I use she, her, right. um, I don't particularly want to have people refer to me in gender neutral terms, right. like, but 
I think it's just, I'm not saying that everyone needs to, you know, up, there, there's different nuances about right. ways to handle this, but I think that not making assumptions about people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, and learning how to navigate, mm-hmm. um, social dynamics in ways that makes everyone in the room comfortable in their own yeah. bodies is the future of yeah. existing together. That was a really bold statement, but Dude, it's true. Powerful. Yeah. That's the future of existing together. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> the Marley and Faith, show. the Marley and Faith show. Hey, that's a good idea. It's <laughs> just the many hats we wear. <laughs> for those of you listening, our eyes just like locked deep into each other's souls. I can't wait for our TV show to come out. Um, just kidding. Not just kidding. Um, okay. Well, that's it for Bye. the Have Company podcast. Bye. Thank you so much to Faith for sharing so much of herself on this podcast. Thank you to Waxwing Fiber and Packet Corn Press. The world is a better place because of weirdos like Ashton, Claire, and Caroline, and I feel lucky to be alive at the same time as them. Thank you to anyone who ever listened to this podcast. Thank you for telling me how much it meant to you. Thank you for telling your friends to listen. Thank you for letting me share so much of myself my pain, my triumphs, and my process. It has been a gift to share this time with you. You can follow along with my work on Instagram at softprocess and online at marleygrace.space. Stay tuned for a new podcast. I don't know what it is yet, but it'll emerge. And workshops and my book. I have a book. I made a book. It's about personal practice, which is an Instagram feed. And now there's a book about it. And you can find that also on my website. Thanks again for everything. The end. I love you.